you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, February 28th, 2022. This is episode number 225. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 27,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. That's one of the unique things about this show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that is intimately involved in the headline. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about pot for teacher, a Florida school district worried about federal funding, New Jersey's Cannabis Commission fraud and discrimination allegations, Atlantic City's drive for tourism with large-scale consumption areas, yet another MedMen update, cannabis and inflation, cannabis and schizophrenia, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off today's show is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What's your headline today, Nicole? Well, happy Microdose Monday, everybody. Um, I hope everyone had a lovely weekend. My headline today actually comes out of Florida, which I'm sure that we'll get a good Florida man or woman at the end of this one, but from the Hernando Sun, which this is actually very interesting, and I hope that more school districts uh, follow suit in at least having this conversation. School district urged to rethink employee use of medical marijuana. 
Since its use became legal in the state in 2019, a number of Floridians are relying on medical marijuana to relieve pain as well as nausea and tremors caused by treatment-related illnesses such as cancer, Parkinson's disease, and so on. Not a member of the Hernan- now a member of the Hernando County School District Board wants the agency to rethink its policy regarding the use of medical marijuana by employees. Filed on January 1st, 2019, SB 182 legalized the use and possession of marijuana for medical use use in the state. The measure became effective March 18th, 2019, when Governor Ron DeSantis signed it into law. While the use of medical marijuana became legal in the state of Florida, medical marijuana remains a Schedule One substance under Federal Controlled Substances Act, which is why we always say to deschedule or bust. But according to its public information officer, PIO Karen Jordan, the Hernando County School District follows the federal law and does not differentiate between recreational and medical marijuana. It stands that the board must file any employee who te- fire any employee who tests positive for marijuana, Jordan says. Employees who are fired may reapply for their jobs after one year, which I thought was very interesting. But during a recent workshop, the Hernando County School Board member Jimmy Lataro called for the HCSD to rethink its current policy on the grounds of retaining employees who can demonstrate that they are using medical marijuana for medical uses uh, if the school district has interest. While we are talking about medical marijuana with the employee as it is, we are losing good people who are getting help from medical marijuana as well, Letardo said. You can have someone who takes a pill for a migraine headache, and are they going to lose their jobs? No. Well, medical marijuana patients shouldn't either. Still, agencies such as the HCSD worry that the policy changes that allow medical marijuana use could put their federal funding in jeopardy. The loss of those funds could be quite significant. From the June 2021 AFR, the school district's annual financial reports, the HCSD received just over $14 million in federal funds, Jordan said. Even so, Letardo said that his stands, the status of federal funding should figure significantly in the decision to allow medical marijuana use by the HCSD employees. The board would be worried about losing federal funding. Maybe they would, uh, maybe they, maybe they won't, he said. But he believes that medical marijuana has a place in society for people who are suffering. So this should be considered. Now, I really do hope that this is considered, but I genuinely believe that until we deschedule, this isn't something that we're actually going to be able to do, especially for, um, you know, employees like those that are employed by the school districts. Uh, but this is just another reason why we need to deschedule or bust. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. So I say add teachers to the list of people that deserve free weed. You know, how, I can't even imagine being a teacher right now. Not only should it not be illegal, it should be free. Pot for teachers. Literally, almost, when I look back at it, I'm almost certain every teacher that I really connected with um, in the way of like them really wanting the best for us, looking back at it, I'm almost certain that a few of them smoked like just based on uh, now looking at the way that human beings do or do not connect with people, I genuinely think that cannabis is helping a lot of people as well. Susan, if you give the teachers free weed, they're just going to use it to bribe students for sex. Shut the fuck up, Jason. <laughs> if anybody we're not, we're not, talk, we're not talking any, about big tens here. I'm not talking yeah. about Florida. <laughs> oh, thing we is, are talking about Florida. cannabis right now would be it, it would be teachers if anyone needs it right now. I mean, dealing with these mass situations and curriculum, if anyone needs it, they need it right now. I agree. I want to say not only for the physical, but also the mental and emotional effects of cannabis, the way that teachers are just pushing themselves all out. 
I think this is great, and we should definitely take great care of them. Jason, I really, I do think you're onto something, though, man. The data don't lie. You know, if you look at the the, the cases of uh, teachers that have had sex for uh, cannabis and cannabis products over the last couple of years, man, you can you can do away with all of those. Just give them free weed. Wait, I'm so confused about that statement. I yeah, think- <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think pedophiles uh, have a very so specific objective. If it's not cannabis, they're bribing. They're bribing with candy, whatever the hell else. How did my great article about this go down that fucking? I don't road? know. Like, fuck you. You should. You should have saw that coming. You totally should have saw that coming. Fuck you, Jason. You should have thought what, Jason? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> No sound effects for you. Um, up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. He's also the patriarch of dad jokes on the show. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? All right, I got some Garden State Spice for you. So New Jersey's Cannabis Commission can't shake discrimination, fraud allegations. It's coming at NJ.com. On February 3rd, New Jersey State Cannabis Regulatory Commission sent out a pretty standard Happy Black History Month tweet. Um, If you follow the article's link, you'll see angry responders repeatedly asking how many black people had been licensed to grow and sell weed in New Jersey. CRC claims no available data on BIPOC operators, while also battling a fraud lawsuit tied to application diversity certification scoring. Governor Phil Murphy said that he hopes adult use market would begin in March, but as of February 24th, CRC wouldn't commit to a date, uh, but is optimistic it'll be sooner than later after missing a self-imposed February 22nd deadline. Congressman Donald Payne aligned with New Jersey African-American Chamber of Commerce, blasting the CRC, claiming 56 licenses, none went to black applicants. One black female awardee, Suzanne Nicholson of Holistic Solutions, has since come forward. Response to Payne's uh, complaint on lack of (laughs) black diversity, Murphy said in the least pettiest of tones, that he hopes when this industry is stood up, he'll be pleasantly surprised. Folks criticized CRC last year after majority of diversity applicants awarded medical licenses were not people of color. Meanwhile, actual operators of color, many blacks said that they hadn't even been certified as diversely owned businesses with majority ownership. Very important during licensure as applicants get extra points for the designation. New Jersey's limited license market, vertically integrated operators and large cultivators stand to gain massive head start before others. Common tactic for majority white male uh, companies use women and family members of color to qualify as diversely owned businesses. Applicants of color have long complained about companies that applied and received diversity licenses lying, but never on public record, citing fear of retaliation from the CRC and larger companies. Unexpected help might be on the way, though, for Maryland-based, from Maryland-based cannabis firm Curio, recently bringing a lawsuit to CRC on this issue, uh, directly naming rivals Altus and Holistic NJ. But get this, back in 2019, Curio sued Maryland regulators to prevent awarding of licenses meant to boost minority participation, saying that the state already had enough 
sufficient supply before quickly withdrawing the suit after public backlash. Maybe they've learned. The New Jersey suit alleges Altus and Holistic NJ lied to get designations as women-owned business enterprises. Without extra points given to the, by the designations, Curio would have scored higher on the app higher on the app than his lion-ass white counterparts. Legal docs allege Holistic NJ is a shell company for Holistic Industries with majority white male leadership and CEO Josh Gunderson used his wife, stepmother, and the wife of a holistic associated lawyer to qualify. But there's more. There's, uh, they're being represented by former state attorney general Chris Perino, uh, partner at Lowenstein Sandler, same firm acting attorney general Matthew Platkin comes from. Perino served Governor Murphy's administration during a scandal where a senior staffer was accused of rape. The firm called attacks on holistic sexist, claimed that it was uh, properly certified and believes in the process's fairness. Damn right they do. Curio alleges Altus lied on his application, too, by using the wife of Pennsylvania-based Standard Farms investor Peter Bio. The allegation states an employee from Standard Farms filed wrongful uh, termination lawsuit, uh, refusing in 2018 to defraud New Jersey medical application process by serving in a false role at Altus. Spicy. Uh, both the CRC and Altus uh, declined to comment on either lawsuit's allegations. New, New Jersey Advanced Media says, since November 2021, it's asked the state multiple times through records, requests, and specific number of licenses uh, for the specific number of licenses held by black and Hispanic people. CRC claimed they have no records that could respond to that question. The commission said earlier via email it'd track racial demographics in the future, but it'd be optional. After months of stalling, the data request was officially denied February 4th, one day after the celebratory Black History Month tweet that they put out. They are so damn woke. The CRC's next public meeting is March 24th. There's Rico Lameet, dopest dad on the street, reporting for State of Cannabis News Hour. I hit my guy Josh Alb um, from Canademics, who's quoted in the article to join us, but he hadn't. I haven't heard back from him uh, by pre-production. Are there any New Jerseyans that would care to comment on this delightful, spicy mess that's going on out there? Please, please do speak up. So spicy. Go Jerseyans. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a bot with their hand up, but not letting them are up. You, you keep mentioning CRC. Are they talking about color remediation? Bro. Was listening? Jason wasn't listening. No, I was. I, that was a joke, Nicole. They're just out there in that great soil, gardening away. Spring's coming. Doesn't sound like any gardening is going to go on in the Garden State. They're just going to keep on punting the ball. Well, Jason, aren't you worried about the Northeast taking over California's top spot? The Northeast couldn't take over California's top spot on its best fucking day. Oh, goodness. Well, in the... What a great segue into Mr. Jason Beck. Uh, Jason Beck is the longest-running retailer in cannabis U.S. history and the industry's very own Kaiser Brose. What do you have for us today, Jason? Oh, yeah, Nicole. Today, my story is also out of Florida, where midsmen to exit Florida medical cannabis market in a sale for $83 million with an M dollars, which I think is a very, very low number for a Florida license with assets. But nonetheless, Midsman today announced plans to sell its Florida assets to Florida-based private company Green Century Holdings LLC for $83 million. The cash deal includes the sale of uh, substantially all of Midman's Florida-based assets, including its license, dispensaries, 
inventory and cultivation operations. Additionally, the company agreed to license its trademarks in the state for a two-year period subject to termination rights for a quarterly revenue-based fee. The transaction is subject to customary closing conditions, including applicable regulatory approvals. The deal is expected to close in late April or early May of 2022, pending the receipt of all required contractual consents and governmental approvals, including the requisite change of ownership approval from the Florida Office of Medical Marijuana, better known as the OMMU. As MedMen continues to transform its business model and position itself for future growth, our go-forward strategy is going to include an asset light model that enables us to leverage the power and strength of the MedMen brand. Um, sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying that shit. We all know fucking MedMen's going bankrupt, and their asset light strategy, I feel, is just them selling off assets, even though they're trying to put a whole another spin on it. And then they also say, we feel confident this model will deliver strong financial results and opportunities for growth across many states, and will continue to identify trademark licensing opportunities that will include the MedMen brand and retail experience to other markets across the United States and internationally. Well, MedMen, your name is Midsmen, and what type of brand IP you think you have, I I think is totally diminished by your negative press. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Uh, love the word salad that the interim CEO put out there in this article. They have a new go forward strategy. What is, the fuck is go forward? Isn't everything go forward? And it's going to include asset an asset light model. What does that mean? They're, they think that they're... Asset lights means they're selling all their assets because they're fucking tanking. It's a sinking <laughs> ship and jump the fuck off. Short the fuck out of Med Men. It's day one um, and have just really positioned themselves in a way that has made everyone think that they weren't early on if you were looking at it from the outside. Um, but anybody within the cannabis industry has been able to see right through that fucking... I mean, it is just a very thin veil um, um, and, and it's been very obvious to those of us who've been watching internally, but from the outside to, you know, pull the wool right over invest. Not to mention, I mean, what does this do to the value overall of all Florida licenses at this very low price point of $83 million? I mean, I think the last license that was sold previous to this was sold for $55 million, and that had zero assets. That was sold to Planet 13 um, when when uh, Harvest merged with, with, with TrueLeave. And so what what is going to be the value going forward of these of these Florida licenses when this one just got sold for $83 million with all of these assets included? Well, and they did just in, get back into that lawsuit with... With their New York partner Ascend, and that was I want to say it was seventy-three million dollars for the one New York medical license, and I think that that's like you know a perfect example, Jason, where you're saying it's way underpriced because Florida comes with you know twenty-two retail licenses, so the idea that it would be equal to one medical license in New York, I think, was kind of crazy. Yeah, they in Florida, it's all about those government-run cartels down there, and they still haven't given a single license. I I believe uh, cultivation license sending the black farmers, which they did promise. Uh, was it three years ago, four years ago now? Wait a second, Nicole. I thought that the New York case, I thought they pulled out. They pulled out, they got back in, they pulled out again. So they, they, they sold it last year 
they pulled out or trying to pull out. Ascend sued them saying you can't. And so they're removing, retracting part of their uh, lawsuit that they had against Ascend. They were like alleging some like shady things, but uh, they're pulling uh, parts of the, the statements out. But there's a lawsuit from Ascend to MedMen and from Med, MidsMen to Ascend. Um, you know, they're, they're suing each other. It's countersuit. So um, the, they tried to pull out contractually whether or not they're going to be able to. We will find out. I feel like MedMen or MidsMen, as it's appropriately being called, is really just needs like its own soap opera to even keep up with what's going on here. MidsMen's pullout game is strong. <laughs> they got to know how to keep up. Stamina-based, Rico. Stamina-based. Stamina or endurance. There may be a, a, a docu-series in the works with the studio who did the WeWork documentary, actually. Nice. Because, oh, man. Yeah, Med, Med Men is the WeWork of the cannabis industry. It's a proven fact. And may face a similar narrative that we witnessed on... Uh, that was a great documentary done by Campfire Studios. It'd be an appropriate name for the studio covering the story, too. Sorry about this. I know we're at time. We're way over time, but uh, I wanted to give Eric uh, 10 seconds. Eric, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, MedMen's one of my best clients, and uh, we're hitting 30% cannabinoids and 3% Terps in Florida, so it's not as mid as it used to be. That shit is 100% fucking mids, bro. Fucking test results are fake as fuck. No, come on by. <laughs> I'd love to show you. Asset light, truth light, my, my, my. Weed light. Uh, <laughs> I was light. going to the next. next that is bait. <laughs> we'll not touch it. All right, so up next, this Midwest mom is one of the top 25 women in cannabis making history. The CEO of award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ BizCon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and most importantly, one of the dopest moms on the planet. And not just in the Dirty Mitten where they call Jason Beck White Gucci. I'm talking about the whole world coming to the stage next is priscilla agoncillo what you got for us today mama oh damn thanks rico for the fire intro uh and and uh to eric uh branston's credit he does know some fire weed uh anyway this article is packed with so much info uh please read it read through it for more info uh basically california state lawmakers have been slow to lower taxes so local governments are stepping in to grant tax relief to cannabis businesses taxation at all levels of the supply chain is uh, choking cannabis companies um, ability to really stay afloat and obviously supporting the illicit market uh, license holders in california are subject to a state cultivation tax of 161 dollars per pound as well as a 15 percent excise tax in addition to taxes levied by city and county officials. So four bills at the state level for cannabis taxation have been introduced just in the past few weeks. Assembly Bill 2792, AB 2506, and Senate Bill 1281, and SB 1293. SB 1281 appears to be the most comprehensive among other things. It would eliminate the t cultivation tax and reduce excise tax to 5%. Legislative actions on these, if approved, won't take effect until 2023 at the earliest. So in the meantime, time. Humboldt County reduced its cultivation tax by 85% for one year. Lake County voted. There's a vote on, uh, they voted for May 15th, the due date for cannabis tax payments, and they suspended a 25% late payment penalty. Monterey, there's a vote on March 1st on an industry, uh, on an industry-wide cultivation tax reduction, including eliminating auto automatic increases on all taxes and doing away with distribution tax entirely. In Sonoma, um, they voted to postpone the first quarter taxes from January January 31st to April 30th, Bellflower reduced taxes for, manu for manufacturing and distribution from 7.5% to 2% and 
5%. Berkeley induced uh, or, or reduced the uh, cannabis tax rate from 10% to 5 Cloverdale, uh, they're doing a vote on March 9th to reduce taxes for all licensees. Desert Hot Spring uh, reduction in cultivation tax from $25.50 per square foot to $10.20 per square foot foot for cultivation. Long Beach manufacturing and distribution and testing taxes went from 6% to 1%. Oakland has lowered the gross tax receipts on cannabis businesses that make 500000 or less from 10% to 0.12%. Uh, Palm Springs reduced manufacturing tax from 10 to 2% in San Diego. Manufacturing and cultivation tax from 8% to 2% effective on May 1st. Uh, San, San Francisco, uh, they delayed the... Uh, um, the business tax uh, to 2023. This is a second uh, one-year suspension that they approved. San Jose reduced flat taxes from 10% to 4% for cultivation, 3 to 2 for manufacturing, um, uh, uh, 2% for distribution, and 0% for testing. Other, other counties that have resolutions formally requesting that the state amend its cannabis taxes are Alameda, Calaveras, Mendocino, Santa Cruz, and the city of Rio Dell. This is Priscilla reporting on the state of cannabis taxes for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you, Priscilla. We've got Stephen Elliott up from the audience. Stephen, did you want to weigh in on Priscilla's headline? Yeah, that's the most awesome headline I've heard in weeks. <laughs> Thank you, Priscilla, for bringing that to light. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely been a struggle with the taxation, even imagining them. And thank you for that article, Priscilla. It's really important. And deschedule or bust, folks. Free the plant, free the people. Love you. Thanks, Stephen. Woo! All right. Well, if nobody else wants to weigh in on the spiciness of taxes, um, I did hear Long Beach get dropped in there, and I'm still so very proud of Long Beach for bringing that 6% tax down to 1%. We can do it, and it can get done, and it does actually. Um, we actually have gotten more business from it, so pretty excited to say that. Uh, and up next, we have Miss Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen once was a feisty redhead reporter, also the former Capitol Hill communications director. Now she's exploring the uncharted waters of cannabis and psychedelics with her own PR consulting firm, Panoptic Strategies. Our very own Washington Insider, what do you have for us today, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Nicole. My headline today is uh, NCAA moves to lower marijuana penalties for student athletes and increase THC threshold in drug tests. Student athletes that are part of the NCAA would no longer automatically lose their eligibility to play following a positive marijuana test under rules that are being recommended by a key committee. Additionally, the NCAA Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports said that effective immediately, the THC threshold that constitutes a positive test is being increased from 35 to 150 nanograms per milliliter, aligning the organization's policy with that of the World Anti-Doping Agency. Members have spent the last few months discussing potential changes to NCAA cannabis rules, and the decision to recommend greater leniency is consistent with conversations that have been ongoing in multiple professional sports leagues as more states move to enact legalization. They said reconsidering the NCAA approach to cannabis testing and management is consistent with feedback from membership on how to better support and educate student-athletes in a society with rapidly evolving public health and cultural views regarding cannabis use. That's according to Brian Hayline, the NCAA chief's medical officer. Marijuana is not considered a performance-enhancing substance, but it remains important for member schools to engage student-athletes regarding substance use prevention and provide management and support when appropriate. 
While the committee's eligibility recommendation is not binding, it urged each of the NCAA three divisions to adopt them in their respective bylaws. For a first positive THC test, CSMAS said there should be no loss of eligibility as long as, quote, the school provides a management plan and education for the student athlete. The same goes for a second test, unless the athlete didn't comply with the management plan, in which the case the committee recommended a suspension from participation in 25% of regular season games. For a third violation, the recommendation is no loss of eligibility unless the athlete failed to comply with past management and education plans And in that circumstance, CSMAS says they should face a 50% regular season suspension. By contrast, the current bylaws for Division I, II, and III student-athletes stipulate that a positive marijuana test immediately renders the player ineligible for 50% of the regular season. And for a second positive test, the athlete would be subject to the standard banned substances ineligibility bylaws, which means they would be suspended for an entire season. These adjustments to the NCAA drug test program were approved after careful consideration and extensive discussion of the recommendations made by the Drug Testing Subcommittee, which has been meeting since last fall. The updated cannabis testing policies create a clear pathway to student-athletes to participate in education and management programs specific to their needs at the campus level. I think, well, I'm not, I was not a student-athlete, and I'm sure Rico is going to weigh in on this, but I kind of think this is kind of bullshit. Um, it, it, it seems like they're starting to care about uh, cannabis and THC, but the levels that they put it at don't seem very high. Um, I asked Dr. Felicia and she said this might be enough for someone to use CBD uh, like a full spectrum and not test too high, but it's still there. They're, after you test positive, if you have THC, they're going to want a management plan and education. I think they're still putting a stigma on people using this as an alternative to opioids and still making it seem as if cannabis is bad, but we're going to educate you afterwards. And if you fall in line, then we won't suspend you for half the season. I think it's bullshit. This is Gretchen for State Campus News Hour. Gretchen, yes, it's 100% bullshit. And as somebody who became an opioid addict because they gave us like literally sample packs of Malexicam and Vioxx and all that bullshit that's not even on the market anymore. Say death to the NCAA. They're dying very quickly. And now that college students are getting paid, they want to stay relevant and stay in the cannabis conversation. So they're going to say something. But this is not enough. It's it's utter bullshit. Totally agree, Rico. I I, uh, participate. Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. You're a former athlete, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, I participated in the sport. No one cares about it at school. No one no one pays attention to, and we were totally given all that stuff, too. Um, I ran track and cross-country uh, for a Division II school that was uh, good for Division II. And, yeah, I totally agree with uh, with your comments about, about the, the drugs and, and pills that they gave us. Chris, I totally thought you were going to say golf. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mary Clifton, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, you know, these these drug tests cut off at where there's ba- basically zero tolerance, even for a full-spectrum CBD at the THC level 1 of 18 nanograms per milliliter. Then there's another cutoff at 50, and then there's another a third level cutoff at 150, which presumably would allow somebody to use intermittently you know, not a daily user or a chronic heavy user would would be able to be cut off at that point. So it's allowing for a little bit of cannabis use. It's a crack in the door. It's better than nothing. Yeah, I think so. Better is than it, nothing. It, but is, is, is it better than nothing if it really doesn't do what it's intended to, to be able to really do? Well, if somebody wants to take a pop here and there when they need to relax or when they've had an especially difficult workout or when they want to relax and focus and get their competitive – 
jitters gone, then that this level of uh, testing would allow for that level of use, in my opinion. I'm sorry, but just a puff isn't fucking cutting it for that type of shit. Uh, it just depends on your tolerance level. Your weed, Jason, come on. Just a puff can put some people down. But we are past the half hour point, so I'm going to relight the room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay here on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. Want to learn how to generate a high income in the explosive business of cannabis? Get all of the details and winning strategies developed from 20 years in the game. This one-of-a-kind book is filled with dozens of personal business deals, insider stories, and invaluable lessons. The Business of Cannabis, A Blueprint to High Income by Jared Kesselman finally reveals this elusive industry from the inside and teaches you how you can create a profitable business in something that you love. Get it now on Amazon. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's. Up next, she's the Plants for Life CEO and dual board certified physician that enjoys helping folks understand and manifest the immense power that they have over their personal health while using cannabis as it was intended as medicine. Dr. Felicia Dawson, what kind of news you got for us this morning? Thank you so much, Rico. Happy Monday, everyone. My story comes from Channel 46, the local CBS affiliate here in Georgia. Two bills introduced that could drastically change Georgia's medical marijuana program by Rachel Polanski. A big step was taken on Friday in the push for medical marijuana in Georgia after Republican State Representative Sharon Cooper filed a bill that would double the number of medical marijuana companies allowed to operate in Georgia, as well as move the low TAC patient registry from the Department of Public Health to the Georgia Composite Medical Board. This comes a week after Republican Chairman Alan Powell filed a bill, HB 1400, that would triple the number of medical marijuana companies allowed to operate in Georgia, as well as call on the state to operate its medical marijuana program in a more transparent way that would enable the community to access public records. Medical marijuana advocates say the passage of either bill would allow low TAC CBD oil into the hands of patients that have been waiting seven years since the cannabis oil was first legalized in Georgia for people with chronic illnesses. In 2019, a state-appointed commission was tasked with licensing six cannabis producers, and in 2021, those companies were chosen. But as we've reported, that process has been met with heavy criticism over a dozen lawsuits, protests, and a federal lawsuit. The six companies that were selected cannot start growing medical marijuana until the protests are resolved because both of the bills recently introduced would increase the number of cannabis producers to include some of those losing bidders. Lawmakers hope the losing bidders would drop their protests. In turn, that could mean a quicker rollout for Georgia patients. So this newest bill is House, is House Bill 1453, and as we already stated, the low TAC patient registry, registry would be moved from the Department of Public Health to the Georgia Composite Medical Board, so it would be overseen by physicians. It is also requiring the Georgia Access Medical Cannabis Commission to contract with a third party to accredit independent labs. 
is also appointing another commission called the Oversight Commission to oversee the Medical Cannabis Commission. These current six companies who've already received a notice of intent award are not going to be affected by this bill, but they would increase the class four production licenses up from two to four, the class two production licenses up from four to eight. Also, they are um, requiring that the commission contracts with a third party to accredit independent laboratories, and they also are establishing a queue of proposals submitted for production licenses tied to the number of patients in the registries. Now, this current bill, 1453, doesn't say anything about transparency, which was part of the big issue in the first place. So, in my opinion, if they would pull over what's in Powell's House Bill 1400, add that transparency piece, this bill would be all good. This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do you all think? Georgia is going to be a wild card in the South. It's going to be very, very, very interesting. How so? Politics, uh, because of the all the corporations down there, because it's the South. You got the Good Old Boys Network down there, and uh, Georgia is a business leader too. So there's going to be a lot of money to follow. There's going to be a lot of uh, spice. Let's put it that way. Shout out to the Red Clay of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting, I, I, I've been just confused as to why it's taken so long, because uh, Georgia has been known to be business, pro-business. Um, however, I'm told that the religious right and law enforcement, and also we were a site for GW Pharmaceuticals for their CBD trials, um, may be part of the, the issue for the slow rollout. But it's, it is quite frustrating for patients here. Nicole uh, Buffong from the audience, did you want to weigh in before we move on to the next headline? Yes, real quick. Thank you so much. Um, Good morning, everyone. It's just really sad. The patients are suffering. It's why I left Georgia, because they just couldn't get their shit together. And it's just so sad because there's so many people that just want access to safe medicine and, and they can't get it there. They have to break federal law and become criminals to access the medicine they need. They do have the highest threshold for for CBD, right? It's like 5%. Yes. No, that's THC. I thought the THC threat. The, the, th- the, th- the THC. Yeah, yeah, you can have yeah five percent. Yeah. You have five percent THC for it to be still considered uh, uh, CBD down there. So well, no, just for it to be considered. That's what they said patients could have up to five mm-hmm. THC, and only in in an oil form, in a concentrate form, no flour at all. No smoking either. Well, maybe we can get some uh, peach farmers to join in on the interest of growing some good weed. Somebody get Justin Bieber on the phone. Stat. Oh, exactly, God. Rico. Exactly. <laughs> get the Biebs. Stop it. All right. Up next, we have Liz Rogan. Liz is a biodynamic biologist, botanist, and cannabis health liaison. She's also our pinup girl. What do you have for us today, Liz? Thanks, Nicole. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My story comes from CNN Business by Alice Wallace. The headline reads, What Inflation? Cannabis Actually Costs Less These Days. While Americans have seen prices climb significantly in almost all sectors, the cost of cannabis products has actually continued to drop throughout the past year. Cannabis analytics firm Headset, which tracked sales in six adult-use states, including California, Colorado, Michigan, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington, 
He reported that declines in prices from January 2021 to January 2022 by 16.7% in cannabis flour, by 11.8% in edibles, and by 12.4% in vape products. Cooper Ashley of Headset said this would indicate that inflation has not yet affected the prices consumers are paying for recreational cannabis in the United States. According to analysts, these prices declines, these price declines may not mean cannabis is immune to inflation. And this is another example of the web of complex business dynamics playing out in the industry. Andrew Livingston, who's a director of economics and research at Vincente Sederberg LLP, a cannabis law firm based in Denver, says prices have become heavily dependent upon aspects such as state-level supply and demand, and this is due to federal prohibition and the lack of interstate commerce. States have set their own regulations, resulting in different market sizes and a wide array of industry dynamics. He says the data doesn't mean there's no inflation. It means that there are other factors at work that would overwhelm the inflationary signals. Bethany Gomez of cannabis market research firm Brightfield Group says the supply chain disruptions and labor market challenges cause product delays for things like vape pens and packaging. Labor costs and increasing ingredient prices are just some of the factors impacting this. But these higher costs are not yet evident to consumers, but are eating away at the margins of retailers. Many are adapting by scaling back, reining in expansion plans, and trimming product offerings. One example, Native Roots, a dispensary chain with locations in Colorado and Canada, is negotiating prices for larger orders and ordering smarter, according to supply chain director Teresa Ekman, meaning ordering less variety and only the main things consumers want. For Native Roots, the biggest cost increases have come with labor, uh, wage increases of 14% on average to keep pace with competitors and retain employees. Kika Keith of Gorilla RX, the first black woman-owned dispensary in Los Angeles, says she doesn't have the cash reserves and purchasing power to offset some of these increased costs. Saying, even as an equity business owner that made an effort to have my store in my community in South Central Los Angeles, where you're looking at how inflation affects the disproportionately impacted communities and the disenfranchised. I can't even say to my customers, inflation in the supply chain is causing me to have higher prices, so work with me, she said. Adding she sees a similar theme playing out among the black-owned and social equity brands she carries in her store. I can see how they can't even budge on the prices, she said, so they can't compete with larger brands on the shelf. The loss of sales ultimately negatively affects the local community, directly affecting their families. So Keith and other social equity operators partnered on a project called the Black Box Project, which a variety of products from black-owned cannabis brands in a in a box for a discounted price. With the four participating dispensaries, they each had 50 boxes and they sold out in a day. Keith says, it's really putting us in a position to work cooperatively and really look at cooperative economics and how look at how we can seize our buying power and working together. How can we seize our marketing power and work together, she says. I think that's the beauty coming up. That's the rose coming up from the concrete end quote. So I'm wondering how long before inflation is reflected in the cost of cannabis products. Will inflation yet be another nail in the coffin for social equity and other small brands and businesses? Or will we be able to come together and grow more roses in the concrete like Keith? I would love to hear any comments and feedback on this article. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Jason, don't you have uh, an opinion on inflation and cannabis? Yes, I definitely do. Um, I think a lot, a lot of the inflation that we are going to see in the cannabis market, we have yet to see due to the fact that all of these uh, different 
uh, companies are just struggling to, to make some headway. But once I think we have some 280E reform, descheduling, interstate trade and commerce, I think that we will see the cost of inflation that happens on all of our products will definitely be directed and passed on to the consumer, even though they're not being done that at the current moment. I personally think that we've got at least another couple of years where the industry actually starts to act like a real business and managing their costs and managing their orders. And just like they were talking about the Native Roots buyer, you know, consolidating and, and making larger purchases. The cannabis industry has been so reactive for so long. I think that there will be some, some you know, trimming of the fat, if you will, financially on the, our actual costs just organically by us becoming better business people. But then if Chuck Schumer gets this way, we will have a 25% inflation right on the spot. Democrats are great at creating inflation, Christopher. Republicans are great at hey, not solving the problem. Thank you. Hey, Jason, you, you did say uh, before if, if they do away with 280, they're going to have to replace that with something else, right? That is 100%. What do you think? It, um, 100%. Yeah, so the Democrats are proposing a 25% excise tax to replace that while the Republicans are proposing a 3% excise tax to replace that. Uh, I can dig it. I can dig it. So up next is Northern California cop and dope dad traded in his badge for a blunt and a notepad. He's a cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions and our go-to guy on law enforcement stories from an insider's point of view. Up next, we got Chris Eggers. What you got today, my man? Good morning, Rico and everyone else. Thank you for that intro. My article today comes out of the Buffalo News. Erie County DA lets pot sticker shops be even as other authorities crack down. Local authorities want to close a loophole that made marijuana available before legal sales officially started in New York. But Erie County's top prosecutor has no interest in aiding their efforts. Stores that sell stickers, T-shirts, and other tchotchkes for high prices and give the customer free, air quotes, marijuana as part of the transaction are coming under growing scrutiny from law enforcement, regulators, and local officials. Cheek to Wagua, that's a real place. Uh, police have raided two such stores in recent weeks. The sheriff's office is investigating similar operations in Niagara County as well. And the Amherst Building Department uh, soon will look into whether the stores violate town building or zoning codes. This comes after the state Office of Cannabis Management sent cease and desist letters to businesses across New York warning that marijuana gifting is illegal under state law. However, the largest chains... Uh, Sorry. However, the largest chain of marijuana sticker stores in the area, Green Vision Wellness, with four locations in Erie and Niagara counties, said it remains open even after own, the owner was arrested for possession of marijuana and other charges. And Erie County District Attorney John F. Flynn said that as much as he believes marijuana gifting is a, quote, sham, he doesn't consider it a crime and he won't expand his office resources pursuing these cases. He says that there is no penal law violation for any gifting. I've uh, conveyed that to the cannabis board. The marijuana sticker shops have spouted up in recent years in states such as New York, where officials decriminalized or legalized marijuana and have unveiled regulations for full legal sale of the drug, according to this article. The process, as we know, has moved sluggishly through New York, uh, and operators of the, of the sticker shops that moved into this vacuum avoid straightforward sales of the drug. Instead, as the Buffalo News reported earlier this February, about that, a group of stores, Green Vision Wellness customers pay up to several hundred dollars in cash for items like stickers and then receive the drug for free. So this argument did not persuade the Office of Cannabis Management, which several weeks ago sent warnings to businesses that they were violating state law that needed to stop all gifting transactions, quote, immediately. The office sent the letter to more than two dozen companies, but did not identify any of them. 
this article submitted a uh, sorry, this news submitted a freedom of information law requesting the names, but has not received a response yet. I'm interested to see if anybody from New York has been to these st- uh, stores, what they think of it, and uh, what anyone else thinks about this DA that's deciding not to move forward with the charges and investigating these sticker shops. Although uh, several, according to this article, several counties and cities in the area are continuing to do so. Uh, this article references somebody who was cited for possession of marijuana, and they say in this article that it is equivalent to a traffic violation. My name is Chris Eggers. Happy Monday, everybody, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So, Chris, are they so the the customers of the stickers? They don't get to choose which cannabis flower they want or what product they want, or that would make it illegal. I'm I'm curious how that process would go down, and it makes me think of scratch and sniff stickers. <laughs> right? Yeah, they may. I mean, you know, my my best guess is that they obviously can choose between different products. Um, that's my best guess. And I'm sure there's some sort of, uh, you know, cadence to that, but it doesn't reference that in this article. Well, thank you so much for that interesting headline. And I think it's, uh, you know, fun to watch everybody just kind of mimic in a big way what Washington DC was doing and is still doing for so long. Uh, but thank you so much, Chris. And up next we have Adelia Carrillo. Adelia is the CMO of Event High, an advisor of the ICBWA and the co-founder of Blunt Brunch. What do you have for us today, Adelia? Hello, everyone. Um, Today's article, Atlantic City Wants Big Spaces for Cannabis Consumption. So as New Jersey's Cannabis Regulatory Commission explores how to handle consumption lounges, um, Atlantic City wants special considerations. Kashawn McKinley, who's the Director of Constituent Services for Atlantic City, um, made the plea to the Commission Board of Directors to consider large-scale consumption areas, both indoor and outdoor, within the city. He stated locations like Boardwalk Hall, the Convention Center, and Batterfield should be permitted to host large cannabis conventions. Uh, Where they are currently at in Atlantic City and in New Jersey as a whole, so the state is still working on approving first licenses for legal cannabis sales. They do expect those sales to come from existing medical marijuana dispensaries. Uh, The commission approved the regulations for the new market back in August um, with the first applications for cultivation and manufacturing submitted back in December. So they're coming up close to that 90-day review period, which would be March 15th. And much of the discussion at this meeting was still about the future of consumption lounges. Um, They're still asking the basic general questions. You know, they're running into the issues of where people can smoke uh, or vape. Um, people are also talking about what can they sell at these consumption lounges, such as non-alcoholic beverages and snacks. Um, and then they also drew up concerns of, you know, one of the things being odor. Odor was one of the biggest concerns for neighbors. Um, so during the meeting, the commission did approve a uniform warning label for cannabis products, um, which was a stop sign next to a stylized cannabis leaf and a triangle and the word not safe for kids. So that was one of the things they were able to accomplish, but it looks like they still have a lot of work to do. This is Adelia Carrillo, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. How can a city make a warning label that says it's not safe for kids when there's a number of kids that benefit from medical cannabis? I think they just want to make sure that it's under medical supervision. You don't want uh, kids just using it um, just... I'm 100% with that, Dr. Felicia, totally with it. I just don't see how they can make that make that claim when there is so many kids that benefit from it medically. Let's keep smoking the news. I think it's good that they're they're talking about it. So that's a good thing. All right. Here we go. Shelly, Shelly, I'm so sorry. I can't find your intro right here. 
but I love you very, very much. And um, we shall talk on your story coming out this morning. Please come to the stage. Law offices of Shalina Panu, focusing on cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. Founder of Shall We Talk, Shalina Panu. What do you have for us? Thank you, guys. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Oregon residents may join class action settlement against select. The class action complaint was filed in January of 2020. However, a proposed settlement was presented to release the claims of the Oregon consumers against Cura Partners, who owns a select brand, allegedly failure to disclose that 186,000 mislabeled units contained botanically derived terpenes and or medium-chain triglyceride, MCT. The court has not determined liability, and instead the parties have decided to settle this matter on their own. Here are the requirements to be eligible for the class action settlement. You must be an Oregon resident who is 21 and over. While in Oregon, you purchase cannabis THC products from the select brand, from the select packs, select elite, and or select dabbable products, including disposable pens, cartridges, or pods between August 15, 2018 and November 20, 2019. The packages did not include the existence of botanically derived terpenes and or MSC, MST as an ingredient in these products. The relief that is being presented here is simply monetary. The settlement states that the defendant, either directly or through insurers, will pay 500000 to the settlement fund to pay attorney fees to close ca- to class counsel and to pay 200 or even less for each approved and timely claim, depending how many claims are being submitted until the funds are fully exhausted. All in all, it's not a lot of money when you break down the numbers, but it's still something. If you or someone you know may have a legitimate claim based on the above requirements, you can go to OregonClassActionSettlement.com to either file or download a claim. The deadline is April 29, 2022. If you do nothing, you give up your right to sue. What are your thoughts on this class action settlement in Oregon? My name is Shalita, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So this is this is the a different one than the one where they gave everyone THC even though it was CBD. So this is, wow, selects under fire. I I think this is super interesting, and um, I, I think we're going to see more of this, and it looks like it's going to be hitting selects face a few times. Is this going to trickle up to Cure Leaf as well? This will be interesting because we've had the stories on Pennsylvania vape recalls and other things about their terpenes and additive ingredients. So... I'm curious if this will follow through because I believe that's Cure Leaf and Select also. Yeah, it's it's Cure Leaf. Yeah, I, I, I want, yeah, I wonder how many more uh, Cure Leaf slash Select uh, stories we're gonna hear from people coming out the woodwork trying to try to take them down. Heavy is the crown. There was a lot of Select and Cure Leaf discussion on the internet over the weekend, which I can only imagine is going to turn into even more stories that are totally unrelated to this one. His name is Christopher Smith. He's not the real Clark Kent, but he's our Clark Kent. We know him as Superman. You guys know him as the motherfucking delivery goat. Christopher Smith, will you please come to the stage and bless these people with the story that's going to bring us home. There we go. Thank you, Rico. Good morning, Susan and Nicole. My article today is from Psychology Today. Does cannabis cause schizophrenia? So I'm going to tease the audience by saying there are two findings in this article I have never seen before in a scientific publication, and both, I think, are uh, potentially huge. But first, let's dispatch the age-old trope that cannabis causes schizophrenia. This article uh, does nothing to advance the scientific discussion on the subject. There are findings of correlation between schizophrenia schizophrenia and cannabis, but little about causation, which causes which. So correlation, the article states, people who are affected by the early symptoms of schizophrenia 
might be turning to marijuana to self-medicate. So I was finally encouraged to find some honesty about the limits of scientific understanding about either psychosis or cannabis use and a little optimistic about what I might find next. But the author still wants to try to pose the main question here, does cannabis cause schizophrenia? He says that studies indicate the answer depends on three factors, your genes, your age, and how much THC is being taken into the body. Regarding genetics, it says if you have a schizophrenic sibling, you should not use cannabis. You should not use cannabis, but of course that's not the question. And he doesn't really give any evidence why uh, cannabis use is bad if you're already schizophrenic. Uh, regarding age, the article goes on to warn about the usual stuff about prenatal exposure and adolescent use, as you would expect, and about how much THC the article pretty much punts on that and doesn't really answer it at all. But there is a, this is one of those studies where all of the evidence is in an uncontrolled environment, right? So people are going about their day and about their, their, average, uh, their average behavior and then reporting on what they're doing. So for example, they say that cannabis use is strongly correlated to tobacco use and that tobacco use increases the risk of becoming schizophrenic. So this is a scientific paper in Psychology Today. Tobacco use increases the risk of becoming schizophrenic. And scientists have discovered a causality between tobacco and schizophrenia. Is that printed on the warning label of your Marlboro Reds? And this association essentially undermines any direct genetic link between marijuana use and schizophrenia, for example. If the person smokes, it becomes impossible to establish causal connection between cannabis and psychosis. So the conversation, I think, should be over right there. But here's another one. The, the reason, the two reasons that people, older people have mental decline is because of inflammation in their brain and because stem cells have stopped regenerating. And the study says that research in my laboratory has demonstrated that a daily low dose of cannabis can significantly reduce inflammation and demonstrated that stimulating cannabis receptors in the surviving stem cells can restore neurogenesis. So this is another huge statement in this article buried underneath this sort of reefer madness title of does cannabis use cause schizophrenia. And there you go. I'm done. Thank you so much for bringing it home, Christopher. Uh, Definitely click on that link and read the full article. Uh, That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show and our pinup girl Liz Rogan. Thank you audience for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Chris, that goes to ask the age-old question, which came You've first? You've been tuned in to the, the State of Cannabis News Hour, the where weed. we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye. Yeah.